We're in 3 John, and uh, this evening we will be looking at verses 9 through the end of the book, which is verse 15. Before we get started, let me just uh, do a quick review over the last two studies that we've done. Um, The first one, verses 1 through 4, John's focus was on Gaius and his commitment to God's truth, Uh, the truth of the gospel, the truth found in the gospel, the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. And what we saw is that Gaius is fully committed to the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus taught. And what John does is he links this life commitment to God's truth with his love, the love that he has for Gaius. Then in verses 5 through 8, which was the last study we did together, John continues to commend Gaius, his very dear friend, but he shifts. In that that, uh, passage, he shifts his focus to another element of Gaius's character. He focuses in on Gaius's commitment to expressing God's love to the brethren, particularly to those who participate in the ministry of God's word. In that section, John linked his love for Gaius with his commitment to show Christian hospitality to these brothers traveling from town to town, sharing and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Between those two studies, what we saw in those first eight verses of 3 John, we see John once again demonstrating that in God's economy, that truth and love are inseparably linked. They're not mutually exclusive, and they literally cannot exist without one another. They're linked to that degree. So that brings us to this final section of 3 John. And in this section of his letter, John contrasts two individuals within the church. A man by the name of Diotrephes and another man by the name of Demetrius. Now, Diotrephes selfishly denies John's apostolic authority. He refuses to show the Christian hospitality that Gaius excels in, and he actually goes so far as to discourage others in the church from following Gaius's example. Now, Demetrius is very, very different. Demetrius has a reputation that is above reproach among the members of his church and also with John the Apostle himself. And what John does is he describes both of these men, then he uses this comparison as a basis of what I see as good biblical counsel, encouragement to Gaius, and instruction on personal application. So let's read this this final passage together and then look at it verse by verse. 3 John, beginning in verse 9. He says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. 
So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Amen. Okay, I want to look at verses 9 and 10 together here. Uh, John begins this section by referencing something that he had written to the church, presumably another letter. Uh, But that's all he says about it. He doesn't tell us a whole lot about it, just that he had written something to the church. And what I found in my study of this section is that there are many uh, commentators and and, uh, uh, Bible teachers who speculate on this additional writing or this other writing, and many of them speculate that it might be a reference to 1 John or 2 John. We just don't know for sure. I personally, I don't believe, I'm, I'm convinced that it is not a reference to 1 or 2 John uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, Diotrephes is not named in either of those letters, and he's named specifically in, in this letter. And the issue that John has with Diotrephes, which we're going to develop tonight, it's a serious issue, and it's not specifically in, addressed in either of those letters. So I don't think it's a reference to First or Second John. But here's the bottom line that I want to share with you. I just choose not to speculate on it. I don't want to spend any time on speculation. And it's for these, for these reasons. Number one, it's just impossible to know for sure if he's referencing either of those letters. And we're just not going to be able to know for sure. Um, number two, it just doesn't seem to be what's foremost in John's mind in making this reference. And then third, and this is, this is what seals it for me, whether it is or isn't one of, those first, uh, one of his first two letters, it really has no impact or bearing on the meaning or the understanding of John's message regarding Diotrephes here in 3 John. So why, why even speculate? I want to focus where John is focused. And his focus, John's focus, is on Diotrephes' motivation and the wrong that he is doing in the church. He says that he's putting himself first. He says that he is denying and rejecting John's apostolic authority. He's speaking out publicly against John. He's refusing to welcome these traveling brothers, these traveling missionaries. And 
he goes so far as to do everything in his power to prevent others in the church from doing so. That's where John's focus is. So let's look at these, these, um, this list of charges against Diotrephes. John says about him that he likes to put himself first. Now, putting oneself first is the manifestation of, or it's the evidence of having a very selfish heart, a self-centered or self-oriented heart. And we know that the Lord Jesus is our great example of putting others before himself. Let me read to you what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian church. This is from Philippians 2, verses 3 through 11. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the example, the pattern that we are to follow, that every true believer is to follow. Diotrephes clearly was not following this example. His selfish heart led him to, one thing, reject John's apostolic authority and speak what the way John describes it as he spoke wicked nonsense against him. Now, Understand, and let's remember that John's apostolic authority was not his own, but it was delegated to him by God. So by rejecting, God, uh, excuse me, by rejecting John's authority, Diotrephes was rejecting God's authority and ultimately rejecting God himself. Now what we see in this letter, in this portion of his letter, is that John responds to Diotrephes. He he responds to the lack of acknowledging his apostolic authority and to the other actions of Diotrephes, and he does so in a very appropriate way. When he is able to visit the church in the future, he's going to bring up, he says, he's going to bring up the evil that Diotrephes is doing. He's going to deal with him. He's going to deal with Diotrephes in a biblically appropriate way. I would say along the lines of taking whatever disciplinary action that is necessary and appropriate. 
He will, to the best of his ability, right any wrongs that Diotrephes has committed against members of the church, within the church, and establish biblical boundaries for the church to help prevent this type of difficulty and adversity in the church in the future. The bottom line is that John is not going to ignore it. He will fulfill his apostolic responsibility to care, to care for, to safeguard, and to protect the church. This is probably clear to everyone, but let me just say it to make sure. This is definitely not John, you know, like getting his feathers ruffled and lashing out at Diotrephes because Diotrephes is not doing what John wants him to do. It's not what's happening here. This is not about an attack on John himself. It's not how John sees it. This is an attack on the Lord, an attack on the Lord's authority and his church. If John were to allow this or this type of irreverence to God's authority to go on in the church, if he ignores it, and doesn't deal with it appropriately, well, first off, it would be ignoring his responsibility as an apostle. It would definitely have negative impacts on the church and on the kingdom. It would paint a very wrong picture of how the church is to respond to the Lord Jesus himself. And by John allowing that, he would be validating that. It would set a tone for others within the church to do the same. And it would undermine God's authority over the church and God's will for the church. So John, as we well know, is a good apostle. He will not ignore it. He will take, and this is what he tells us, he will take appropriate action. Now, Diotrephes doesn't limit his dissension here to his own personal, private attitude toward John. John tells us that he openly speaks wicked nonsense against John. Wicked nonsense. Okay, this phrase carries very serious meaning. It's basically... It's malicious gossip, which means that the words that were spoken, they were wicked. They were evil in their content and in their intent. In other words, he spoke evil about John for the purpose of undermining John to the church. They were also senseless or baseless. That's what he means when he says that they were nonsense. There was no truth to them. There was no evidence of truth to these words that were being spoken. They were purely spiteful, like I said, in their content and in their intent. They were meant to undermine John's apostolic authority and character to the church. This is a very, very serious thing. 
Now, his selfish heart also led him to extend and impose his disregard for John's apostolic authority upon other brothers working for the sake of the kingdom. We're told that he refused to welcome these traveling brothers, these traveling missionaries. He refused to welcome them the way Gaius so faithfully did. He refused to help in any way these brothers who were working to advance the kingdom by spreading the gospel. And as if that's not enough, he was intolerant of anyone within the church who did. John says that he would actually put them out of the church if they dared to to extend this Christian hospitality to these traveling missionaries, Diotrephes would put them out of the church. Now, it's important for us to understand that Diotrephes was exercising authority in doing that that he didn't actually have. Okay, I, I, I think that we all understand this, but God himself establishes each and every true church, true local lampstand. And when he does so, he delegates his authority to the leaders of that church for the purpose of governing the church. Whenever a church leader does evil, and this is what Diotrephes was doing, whenever a church leader does evil, He is not exercising God's authority when he does that evil. God delegates his authority to do his will and to build his church, never to do evil. So really what Diotrephes was doing here is that he was leading in what I see as a worldly way not a biblical way. He was, he was acting, he was leading as if the church was a corporation and he was the CEO of that corporation. What he was doing is he was doing what he wanted to do and he was doing it the way he wanted to do it. Like a CEO would, right? This is my company. It's my way or the highway. He was putting himself First. Now, unfortunately, this is the problem with many local churches today and why so many unbelievers and really, unfortunately, even some believers have issues with church in general. So the point of all of this is that Diotrephes was not quietly disagreeing with John and refusing to participate in the Lord's work. He was not in a personal one-on-one disagreement with a random individual within the church. What he was doing is openly defying John's apostolic authority and actively influencing others to do the same. Now, 
This is the equivalent today of disregarding and opening, openly defying the Holy Scriptures and actively influencing others to do the same. See, what we, what we need to remember is that John was an apostle of God, right? But what that means is, is that he was assigned by God and given the grace and authority by God to establish the early church and to write Holy Scripture. Now, we don't have apostles like John today, right? We don't have the opportunity here in our generation to speak face-to-face with an apostle or to receive a personal letter like this from an apostle. What we do have today, and this is by God's design and by God's intention, what we do have is this. We've got the Bible. We've got the Holy Scriptures. Think about this. What we're studying right now in the book of 3 John, what we are studying right now is John the Apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking to us, writing to us. How we interact with and respond to the Holy Scriptures is the outward expression of how we interact and respond to God's authority, and ultimately, God himself. So every time we open the book, we need to remind ourselves that every word we read in it is God-breathed. And God has breathed his authority into each word that we read in his book, into the words that the apostles wrote. We need to recognize this and acknowledge the authority of the scriptures, right? When we do, we are honoring and glorifying God, and we are submitting to his authority. When we don't, When we don't do that, we're putting ourselves first, as Diotrephes did. We are disregarding and rebelling against God's authority. And then, Ash, when we influence others to do the same, well, within the context of what we're studying right now, let me say it like this. When we influence others to do the same, we are speaking wicked nonsense against God himself. We are being diatrophies. And clearly, we don't want to do that. This heart orientation and behavior that's being described here is the very opposite of what God wants for us, the very opposite of what God wants for his people, the very opposite of what John saw in Gaius. Okay, let's look at verse 11 now. He goes on to say, Beloved, and he's speaking to Gaius here, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil 
has not seen God. Now, in this verse, John is just once again displaying his shepherd's heart, his his pastoral love and concern for Gaius and for all of God's people. What he does here is he offers what I call unsolicited counsel. It's both an encouragement and instruction for personal application. It's a fundamental biblical principle that we are to imitate those who are good. And what I mean by that when I say those who are good, those who are truly good, those who imitate the Lord Jesus himself. The Apostle Paul instructs the Corinthian church to imitate him, himself, Paul, as he imitates Christ. Listen to this from 1 Corinthians 11.1. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. See, so he doesn't just tell them, be imitators of me. No, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Well, here John is giving the same instruction with an added level of detail. His instruction includes a negative and then a positive present imperative. And we've been studying the meaning of the present imperative verb tense in our home church studies, right? It it means that we're to do this in all situations, all the time, all the time. He says, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. What he's doing here is he's, he's contrasting patterns of behavior. So in essence, he's saying, don't, do not ever, ever, ever under any circumstance behave in a way that is contrary to or opposed to the behavior we see in the Lord. This is the way in which Diotrephes behaves. And he's saying, don't behave that way ever under any circumstance. Don't put yourself first. Don't put yourself before or in front of others, certainly not before the Lord. And then he says, but, which means rather or on the contrary or instead, imitate good. Behave as the Lord Jesus behaves. He is our great example. Let me read to you from Philippians, the second chapter, verses 3 and 4. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This was the pattern of behavior that Gaius demonstrated and was known for. And this is how we, as God's people, as Christ's ambassadors and representatives, this is how we are to be characterized, how we should be characterized, and how we should strive to be characterized in our deeds, in our words, and 
you know, here's the, here's the clincher here, even in our thoughts. This is how we should be characterized. Now, John follows this instruction with the Lord's distinction between true believers and false believers. And this is what he taught so thoroughly in 1 John, and we studied this together. He says, whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So just a a quick reminder from 1 John, the true believer, he who does good is from God. Let me read 1 John, this is from chapter 4, and I'm going to read verse 4 and then verse 6. He says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And the false believer, he who does evil, John says, has not seen God. Back in 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, he said, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So, to apply this to ourselves, we should take this instruction to heart. Number one, we should evaluate ourselves on a regular basis. I should ask myself, do my actions, do my words, and do my thoughts express and match my profession of faith in the Lord, my profession of believing in the Lord and of being Christian, born again, having a true relationship with Jesus? Do they honor and glorify the Lord? Do they hallow his name? And I just want to reemphasize our actions, our words, and even our thoughts. The Lord knows every thought that we have. And then number two, we should come along, come alongside, we should encourage and even when needs be, exhort one another. This is what John is doing with Gaius. We should always be mindful to do this same thing with one another. Verse 12. John moves on to Demetrius. He has described Diotrephes. Uh, Now he goes on to describe the contrasting person in the church, Demetrius. He says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So here is a further encouragement to Gaius for all of the good that he's characterized for doing and to continue to do these good works. John 
it's like he matches his ned- negative example in Diotrephes with this gleaming positive example in Demetrius. It's like he's saying, don't be discouraged by the wickedness of Diotrephes and the difficulty that his behavior might cause you. Deal with him as you, de- as you need to. And I will deal with him as I need to deal with him. But don't be discouraged. Instead, be encouraged. Be encouraged by knowing that there are those among you, like Demetrius, who are kindred spirits, who are like-minded to yourself. Those who pattern their lives after the Lord Jesus in doing what is good. Now, we don't know, we're not told a whole lot about Demetrius. We don't know exactly who he is. We're not given the specifics of his deeds. What we do know of him is that the entire body of believers characterized him as being a good, godly man. John says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. What a blessing and encouragement it must be to receive and to hold such an honoring testimony. Can you imagine that? If the whole body, everyone characterized you as being a good, godly person, how it must bring joy to those who lead us and especially to the Lord himself when we're characterized this way. And again, this is what we should all be striving for. This is, this is our motivation on a, on a daily basis to do what's right and to turn away from that which is evil. And then he goes on to say, Demetrius received the same testimony this good, glowing testimony from the truth itself. Well, this means that the Christian genuineness of Demetrius was self-evident. What that means is he had the testimony of those around him, right? But even if he didn't, even if he didn't have that testimony, his character was above Reproach, unarguably in alignment with God's word. No one could bring a legitimate charge against Demetrius. Again, just think about that. Put yourself in that position. To to if 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 you know one could say about you that your character is above reproach. You are. I, I can't. I can't find anything. Anything. Negative to say, you are unarguably in alignment with God's word. What a blessing. And what this tells us also is that our own self-evaluation, we should evaluate ourselves on a regular basis. But that self-evaluation should always and only be based not on our own standards, certainly not on the world's, but on the objective standard of the revealed word of God, the truth. 
the absolute, the objective, the unchanging truth. What, what type of evaluation are you going to receive each time if you evaluate yourself based on your own standards? It's going to be glowing each time, right? That's not how we are to evaluate ourselves. It should be based on God's word, the absolute truth. So I pray that each one of us may receive a good testimony from the truth. And then John adds his own testimony of Demetrius's faithfulness. Now, clearly, I think we've built the case here that, that John and Gaius have a, a good, close relationship, that they have a spiritual connection. So I'm confident in saying that Gaius put much trust in John's testimony because of their spiritual connection. So I'm sure that this meant a lot to Gaius when John adds his own testimony of Demetrius's faithfulness. So in this verse, John is giving the testimony of three witnesses, three witnesses of Demetrius's character, the brethren, the truth of God's word, and John himself the apostle himself. I'm sure this carried tremendous weight with Gaius and was an encouragement to him. John taking the time to to highlight and remind Gaius of this trustworthy and faithful brother that he has in Demetrius should be, and I'm sure was, a real encouragement to Gaius. Think about this looking around our own body of believers here at Tree of Life, seeing and knowing those who are faithful and true servants of the Lord, those who live their lives patterned after the Lord Jesus himself, those who put others, and especially God's kingdom, before themselves, should be a tremendous source of personal encouragement to each one of us. If you're ever feeling discouraged, do that. Look around. Find encouragement in one another. This should be an encouragement for each one of us to continue fighting the good fight, especially when faced with these unavoidable difficulties in life and even at times within the church we can still find that encouragement in one another. And that's what John was emphasizing here and encouraging Gaius in. And now we come to his closing, verses 13 through 15. He says, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. So John closes this letter in much the same way he closed 2 John. I don't know if you picked up on that that, uh, similarity there. 
But um, he's accomplished his main purpose in writing this letter. And that is commending Gaius on his steadfastness to the truth of God's word, to the Lord Jesus himself, and all that he taught. His commitment to show Christian hospitality to the brothers traveling from town to town, sharing and spreading the gospel, these these traveling missionaries. Reminding us once again that in God's economy, truth and love inseparably linked. Contrasting good and evil, even within the church. Encouraging us to imitate good and to resist, to turn away from evil. And to be encouraged by those around us who are faithful and true followers of the Lord Jesus. Now, that's what he said in his letter. That's what he accomplished in his letter. Clearly, he had more to say. Maybe more about the specific topics of the letter. Maybe, possibly, additional concerns and instructions that he didn't even mention here. But he's clear about the fact that he had more to say. But he decided not to put any additional thoughts in writing. And this closing of his, in this closing, his, once again, his, his, pastor's heart, his shepherd's heart and love for these churches and all of the believers there really shines through. This is the same as his closing for, uh, or in uh, 2 John, but uh, this, this phrase that he uses, face to face, the literal translation of the phrase is mouth to mouth. It was a, a Greek idiom that conveys a special closeness. In this context, it certainly conveys the very, very special love that all true believers have for one another. The love that John had for Gaius and all of the brothers and sisters in these churches. Agape love. And this is a, uh, a lesson by example for all ministers within the church of the heartfelt love and commitment that they should have in caring for God's people the way John did. He expresses his desire to visit Gaius and all the believers at that, at that particular church. And, you know, the thing is, is warm, personal, face-to-face fellowship is a true blessing from God and is clearly very important to John. Now, these letters, we're, we're concluding our series of studies through all three of these letters. And these letters of John are wonderful, and I'm sure that they were uh, just a tremendous blessing to all of his readers. But the best written letter can't put an arm around someone's shoulder to console, to comfort, to encourage, or even to rebuke when needs be. There's no substitute for personal face-to-face Christian 
fellowship. I think that's what John is communicating here, what he was really feeling here. And then he signs off the letter with, Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. I love this, this peace be to you greeting. It was the very greeting that the Lord Jesus himself gave to his disciples after his resurrection. It's the, this is the peace for which those in the world are constantly searching but never find, not outside of the Lord. It's the exclusive peace that Jesus accomplished on the cross for all of his people. It's exclusive. This is peace that's only found in and among true believers, those who dwell with God and in whom God dwells. Oh, he says, the friends greet you. This is, a, this is a reference to all of the members of John's own home church reaching out to Gaius' church. And then, and I love the way he, he closes this letter. He says, greet the friends, each by name. What a wonderful expression of a true shepherd's heart. See, he's... He's not content with a blanket greeting to the church. He's not saying to Gaius, tell everybody I said hi. He says, greet the friends each by name. He wants each individual brother and sister in that church to know that he knows them. He knows each one of them, probably by name, possibly by name. But he wants them, he wants them to know he knows them, that he loves them, and that he greets each one of them individually. These two verses reflect the intimate Christian family relationship among all true believers in all true churches. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these letters. Thank you for these studies. Thank you for the apostle. I pray that you will help each one of us to learn by what we've studied, to learn by Gaius' example, to express true agape love to one another. Father, please help us to always recognize and acknowledge your authority in every single word you've given to us in your holy scriptures. And I pray, Father, that everyone who ever hears these words, everyone here tonight, everyone who would ever hear these words, would strive to build their own character, being above reproach and unarguably in alignment with your word. Thank you, Father. Amen.